It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to be joined by my guest today. Joining me is Giles House. Giles is the CMO of Calidus Cloud. Giles, welcome to Accelerate. Morning, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. This is uh, actually the first interview we're recording in the new, the new year. The new new year, yes. New Looking new forward year. to it. Yeah, so <laughs> take a minute, fill out that sort of brief introduction I gave. Tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got involved with uh, sales and Calidus Cloud and so on. Yeah, I mean, I've been um, around the sales and software industry now for you know, 12, 13 years and started life across the pond as the accent may uh, betray and then moved here um, about seven years ago and um, joined Caldas Cloud and, and it was a really exciting uh, mission that the company was on and is still on. Um, that's I mean, to, you know, to become a, a top five cloud company and we're well on the way of doing that but really sort of the way in which we're going to do that is with this idea of, of lead to money. And we think it's sort of the next wave of, of sales automation, sales technology. Some may call it sales enablement. But it's, you know, forget the label for a second. It's all about helping sales guys and customers um, make more money. And that's really what we're, what we're focused on. Um, we think that in terms of the actual process of selling and giving people more time back and helping them make more precise cold calls and, you know, engage more via campaigns and things like that. Um, we believe that the market has been very underserved. You know, sales is um, arguably one of the most important topics um, for a company to discuss. And it's one of the most important processes that a company has. Uh, yet it's probably one that is, you know, the least served by technology or, or rigor. You know, so well, that's really where we started. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, though, I mean, not surprisingly, but I mean, over the last three to five years, it's, I sort of call it sort of the golden age of sales technology, and there's been this mm -hmm. little explosion in the number of companies with offerings mm -hmm. for various aspects of the sales process, whether it's, you know, sales automation, cadence automation, you know, sort of go down the list. But you still think it's underserved. Yeah, I mean, I think, you're absolutely right. There's been this explosion, and um, you know, if you if you ever look at those sort of Martech or, or sales tech landscape pictures with all the logos on them, it's like where's Waldo? But you need a you know a micron <laughs> um, nanoscope to try and find an individual company. There's just so much of it now. There's so much technology that it it it, it kind of is overkill, and and it serves it creates a different problem. It creates a different problem, which still focuses on the initial problem that there's not enough of, um, you know, a consistent technology approach to sales and marketing. Now you've got all these companies that have sprung up, and quite honestly, they're creating a headache for sales leaders, marketing leaders, CIOs, because every single thing promises to do, you know, another piece of the sales cycle, solve another problem of the of the customer journey. And you're going to end up integrating sort of 15 different pieces of technology. Oh, yeah? No, I don't. 
you know, I don't know a single head of sales that wants to spend the next 15 years of his or her life in sales integrating software solutions. Um, and I don't know many CIOs that would recommend that to their heads of sales or heads of marketing. So, and, yeah, we've got an issue then is, is the sales stack is unnecessarily complex. And mm-hmm. I presume then that one of the things you would sort of advocate is that Jesus, you know, if we get more end-to-end solutions, i.e. lead to money suite, that it simplifies the task for VPs of sales and CIOs and so on. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's why we, that's, that's why we embarked on this journey, you know, to build this uh, suite of connected sales and marketing applications because we believe they absolutely have to be on, on the same page, got to be connected, the data that, you know, we're sharing and well, the data that we're discovering about our customers, we need to make sure sales has got that data. You know, there was this um, study a few years ago, and I, and I think it's largely unchanged today. But Forrester, um, the, the, the great analyst firm, they did um, a survey of, of CIOs. And they said, on all of your meetings with a, buy, uh, with a salesperson, so between a CIO and a salesperson, how useful were they and how many times did you do a did you accept a follow-up meeting with that salesperson that's the ultimate test of was it useful and it was only one in five uh, replied that they would take a follow-on meeting and they got value from that first meeting mm-hmm. so we know there's this sort of you know experience gap between buyers and sellers if, if that's what we call it an experience gap and their expectations are not getting met um and it's very easy to just sort of say, oh, well, you know, the sales guy is useless. Um, but then the sales guy would say, well, you know, those marketing leads were terrible. This person didn't want to buy anything. And <laughs> you end up in this perpetual cycle of uh, finger pointing and um, nothing gets solved. The real issue is that it's, it's, it's somewhere in the middle and no one's to blame. And we're both to blame. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we're collecting all this information about buyers and, you know, when you're looking at something on the web, we can pretty much figure out who you are roughly and what you've been looking at, what you've been interested in. So if we're not making that available to sales rep, then we're creating a problem. Mm-hmm. We're not arming that salesperson with enough of the, of the juice to do a good job in the meeting. Well, certainly one of the topics du jour over the last six to 12 months, and there have been a number of books that have come out uh, recently about it, is this whole sales marketing alignment conundrum that mm-hmm. you're, you're mm-hmm. addressing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think somewhere in your literature, you guys talk about fully 90% of sales marketing organizations say they're not fully aligned. So, so carrying on with what you were talking about, what, what does it mean to be fully aligned between sales and marketing? Well, I mean, that's just one example, right? Making sure that the rich information you're collecting is is being shared with the salesperson and that the salesperson knows what to do with it. And the other thing is the sort of the opposite side of the sales and marketing value equation um, is that sales is really following up with those leads. Um, they're doing the six touches or whatever it is that you agree uh, between sales and marketing. And it has to be an agreement. It really has to be kind of like an SLA like you would um, get in sort of the days of IT support. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to have an agreement that you're going to make these number of touches because we know it's not, you know, 90% of the time you're not going to make the breakthrough on the first call. So you've got to commit to work it um, and you've got to commit to 
working these leads so long as they're a certain size and you know certain interest level, whatever it is that you agree that's right for your company. And that's something you have to review all the time. But they have to work it because otherwise you never get the feedback. And they have to be cold as well. And if, if, if they're sort of working leads because they haven't really got enough, then you know that information needs to come back as well because otherwise you're creating a, a full sense of security that your marketing team's doing a good job. Well, and you're and they will just keep doing the same in your own organization. So, how how do you guys mm-hmm. work on aligning mm-hmm. sales and marketing? So, I mean, so we have that. Yeah, well, we have that sort of contract. Um, we have a certain uh, criteria for what a lead looks like, and that's the most basic piece of sales and marketing alignment because the sales guys care most about leads. So, what is a lead, and then what are you going to do with it? Is and that so based on that. a score? Um, no, it comes before even a score. Um, it becomes it's fundamentals like what is you know what does your target company look like how much revenue for example or mm-hmm. you know how many salespeople do they have that's more interesting for us um, and are we talking to a decision maker what's their time frame for for buying you know it's things things like that a lot of people use the band budget authority needs timeline type criteria variations on the theme of that and that is what a lead is. And so if I find you one of them as the salesperson, then I expect you to make six calls and get after it. And once you've done that six call pattern over a two or three week period, if it's no good, you need to recycle it back to us and tell us why it was no good. And then, you know, simply from the marketing perspective, we can then look at the leads. Is there a correlation? Did they all come from the same program? Did they all come from that, you know, paid social media program that Mm -hmm. we were testing? And if they did, guess what? I'm going to stop spending money on that because none of them turned into leads or turned into sales. You know, so that's that's really how it works in a nutshell. It's it's not rocket science, but it's it, it's back to basics. And I think you know, going back to the technology, the technology can kind of obfuscate really the underlying problems, um, which in this case is is some very simple stuff. So you talk about lead to money, and I want to delve into what your lead to money suite does. Mm. But, but sort of at a top level is is at least in terms of large, more complex sales. Now we're seeing the whole move to you know account based revenue generation, mm-hmm. which you know they take great pains to to contrast as saying yeah this is an account based approach versus a lead based approach to mm. developing. So so how are you playing in that space? I think you know ABM's a bit of a a bit of a conundrum and I, I feel like it's kind of like emperor's new clothes you know it, it, it's something we've sort of we've sort of been doing but somebody's put a clever bit of packaging around it and you know there are a few tweaks to to the model that people have made and they've called it this but essentially it's what a lot of it's certainly what a lot of sales development teams are doing and the good marketing teams that are aligned to their sales orgs should be doing anyway. You know, I still believe there is there is no way that you're ever going to credibly get away from saying we need to have a good reputation for providing, you know, sales automation technology. Mm-hmm. And, and that we're not going to spend any money on that. We're just going to go after a set number of accounts. It's like fishing with a spear versus fishing with a net. You know, you can be very precise and you might catch that one fish you're looking for um, but what about those other fish out there that are pretty good? They may not be the fat, juicy, fresh Alaskan king salmon. Sure. But 
you know, they're pretty damn good and good. pretty damn close and we'll make good money from them. So I think it's, it's good. And the further you get down, you know, the notional funnel, um, the further the buyers get along their journey, I think it is good to have some target accounts. And I think it's good for marketing to be completely lined up to those target accounts because there's loads of technology that you can, that you can throw at it. You know, you can run very precise targeted ads that, that laser focus on those companies. And if they hit Forbes, you know, they're going to see your ad, for example, you can do that sort of stuff. But I still think you need to have that initial um, bit of brand building reputation. The traditional stuff still works. And I don't think that's ever going away. Yeah. And I, I think that no one, well, hopefully no one would argue that account-based marketing sales, whatever is something that you'll do for all, as you mm-hmm. said, all the opportunities in your funnel. Cause you know, you can't justify the resources for all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about lead to money then. So tell us briefly what, what that does. Well, it sort of does what it says on the tin. It starts with, uh, generating more leads and getting more people, um, interested in your company and helping marketers to engage with those people. And, you know, the ROI of that for marketing is that they run better campaigns and show better ROI from the programs they run. Um, and it's making sure all of that rich information gets into the hands of salespeople. We can align it with, you know, the territories that the salespeople are in so that we can get leads to them faster. Um, and then we can start to really focus on the salesperson. How do we enable them? How do we onboard them? How do we train them? How do we make sure that the managers are doing a jo- good job coaching them? Because mm-hmm. a lot of companies are growing and scaling and you know how you onboard your sales talent and how quickly you get it up to speed is an absolute differentiator. It's the difference between winning and losing. So that's a very important problem that we solve for sales leaders. Um, and then it's sort of getting down, getting along the road in the sales process a little bit more, helping the sales guys generate the quotes, figuring out the pricing and the margin and all of that good stuff. So configure price quotes, quite a popular topic these days. So we do that, and we find that helps people get um, much bigger deals and solve headaches like how do I sell new products and how do I improve my cross-sell rates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's all kind of glued together with um, incentives, making sure that we've got the right incentive programs, the right commission is paid to the right salesperson, and that, frankly, they're not spending hours and hours doing shadow accounting, building complex spreadsheets to try and figure out hey, what am I going to earn on this deal? You know, we provide that information to them within Salesforce, within other CRMs. Um, and it's very, very motivating. It's very powerful. They can see the dollars that are at stake on this deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's so, kind of the, the end of the process for the sales guys. And there's some very rich analytics and predictive analytics underneath um, that whole cycle. The data is very interesting. So one thing you should talk about is helping sales become more productive. So, this is a topic we talk a lot about on, on this show, is, is how do you define productivity for sales? Well, it's different for every, it's different for every sales organization, but you know, we, look at the, we look at productive sales capacity. We look at the numbers that we need to do and the numbers that we need to do to have a good year next year, and we look at how many heads we've got and how many heads we think we need. And part of that equation is, well, how productive are our sales guys? What's the average you know, yield per salesperson, if you will. How much is each one going to produce? Um, and you have to keep tracking that. 
and you have to track it for, for two things. One for the, you know, for the new reps that come on board, as, as we talked about, the onboarding is a really critical process. Are we doing a good job at that? Are our sales guys getting up to speed faster and faster? And that's usually a measure of quota attainment. Depending on the sales cycle, you know, you'll give them a certain period to sort of ramp up and, you know, you may think about a quarter of their, you know, annual target for the first X months and then we expect them to hit 50% and then after that we expect them to hit 100%. Whatever your company looks like, you'll have a different sort of slant on that. But it's, in, it's very important to be able to track, you know, how many people are hitting those goals, are the goals improving? That will gauge the effectiveness of your onboarding program. When you say are the goals then, are the goals improving, meaning attainment improving improving? Yeah, are they are they are they hitting their you know, let's say we, we expect them to do twenty five percent of their number in the first month. You know, how mm-hmm. many of the sales guys are doing that? Mm-hmm. If we're getting more and more of them doing that, the onboarding program's getting better and better. If not, it's getting worse and we need to change it. So it's just tracking that sort of thing really, um, which makes a big difference on that side of things. And then the other equation is really how long, how many of the salespeople are hitting, hitting their numbers for the year. And the simple productive sales capacity thing is how many of them are hitting their numbers? How, what's the total revenue that you're doing versus you know, the number of salespeople? And if you can keep improving that number, um, then you know, you're doing the right things productivity-wise. But well, if it's getting worse, then you've got a problem. All right, so two sort of two questions come out of that for me. One is is we all see the same industry reports about you know CSO insights and so on about really what a small percentage of reps attain quota. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the number is at 50, roughly fifty percent, if not if not a bit lower. Yeah. yeah. So given that's the case, and given that we are in this you know I'll call it sort of this golden age of sales technologies and Martech and so on, is that number is not moving with all this investment we're making into the technologies to help improve, not only help improve the productivity of sales reps. So, so what are we defining productivity? That's why I could ask the question about productivity. Are we, are we defining it incorrectly or, or what, what's missing? What's the missing link? You know, I think that we'd see an increase in productivity through this investment mm-hmm. in technology, especially it's been underserved. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the productivity sort of hints at the time side of a, of a salesperson's, um, successfulness doesn't it how how mm-hmm. much time are we giving them to complete their activities how long does it take to do certain tasks and how much time are they going to spend selling that's one side of it but then the other side of it is how effective are they when they're doing these activities and both of those things need to be you know really in good shape for sales to hit their targets and i think the you know the the, the quota attainment the CSO Insights is a great report that they do. And it's I think it's been for the last four years or the last three years, certainly the um, number of reps hitting quota has declined or stayed flat. Meanwhile, targets have kept increasing. So there's this disconnect. People are chasing growth. They're setting higher targets and people aren't achieving them. Um, and I think it's really because we're, we're trying to throw loads of different technology solutions at the problem versus looking at the data and figuring out what really is wrong. Because if you've got, you know, seven or eight different systems, and in some cases, you know, we've helped clients that have got 12 or 15 different oh, solutions. I'm sure. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's a, crazy. Yeah, I saw a survey yeah. that that of sales sales enablement uh, directors or whatever, you know, asking what the typical number of apps they had in their sales stack, and I think they were saying five to seven, and they go to the sales floor and talk to the reps, and it's eleven to thirteen. So, oh yeah, yeah. easy. So if you're trying to um, if you're trying to understand really what's going on, and having to get that information from thirteen different systems or even five different systems. It's very, very difficult to correlate, you know, the, the records between the systems and get a proper picture of what's going on. And some people try and do this with sort of expensive BI toolkits that, mm-hmm. you know, the IT department has to get involved in. And, and that doesn't work either, because as soon as you've got all the data together, you know, you've added a new field to Salesforce and the model's broken again. So... A lot of the issue is that it's all these different systems that we're trying to stitch together and we're trying to understand what's going on. And we can't because we can't get at the data, which really tells us what's happening. So this idea of being able to predict our forecast and manage our pipeline, affect change before it happens, it's a pipe dream for most organizations because they can't really see what's going on in the deals or what's going on with the salesperson and based on previous quarters of which we know the results, you know, how are we trending? And sales managers would love to see that. They'd absolutely love to see that, but they can't because all this information resides in different places, got terrible data quality, and most people just can't even get at it. So it's kind of, you know, running your running your sales org looking through the rear view mirror rather than the windshield. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I love this topic about productive sales capacity because, you know, to me the 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 capacity and what you're measuring is to me is is an hour of selling time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. I think ideally, if we really want to understand productivity in sales, we'd say, okay, well, how much revenue can you generate per hour of selling time? Yeah, and that becomes because if you looked at productivity and just sort of a general general way it's measured, it's yeah, it's always mm-hmm. sort of a a rate of output for a unit of, of input, which oftentimes like a unit of labor or an hour of labor that's input. You know, what's your productive mm-hmm. capacity? Mm-hmm. And it seems like so we can really start measuring that way relative to productivity versus quota, which to me, quota seems a little artificial. Uh, we're always going to be running behind really understanding what productivity is. Yeah, I mean, productivity is, it is important. Don't get me wrong. It is important. If you're, and you can, a lot of people do these time and motion studies where they'll, they'll shadow different segments of their sales team and figure out how much time they're spending on different activities, etc. And you can get a lot of this now through, through reporting if you're using tools to, you know, we provide content management for sales, right? So we can see how much time people are spending looking for content. Mm-hmm. And on average, they're spending three or four hours a week to try and find that one document they're looking for. So clearly there's opportunities there to solve that and we've done that but it's important not to get too hung up on this number of hours of productivity it's also important to look at what are they doing with that time and then from a quota from a quota perspective i think what a lot of people miss on the quotas is it's not so much about you know the right quota isn't so important for the salesperson obviously if you get it too high it's very demotivating but if you get it too low, it's great for the salesperson, but it's very bad for your organization because you're going to end up with a massive um, overachievement on 
commissions because most people have accelerators and you know a lot of the smart guys will not have those accelerators capped so it's very important that we can kind of model what we think the quotas should be we can run some simulations on you know what do we think the pipeline is going to look like this year how much of it do we think is going to close and also look at the historical performance of the sales guys again that's something people really can't do very easily right now without that connected technology and so what we're doing is we're leaving money on the table because we're either budgeting too much in terms of um you know commissions expense or we're not budgeting enough and we're carrying ourselves a headache um to our revenue goals for the street so as for quote is really important because that money you know that money needs to be put to work the money needs to be put to work to grow and hit your targets and if it's tied up because you haven't got a good forecast on attainment and likely expenses and the sales and marketing line items you know that's that's a big problem so quota is much more of a sort of finance operational problem that has massive implications for for sales right this sort of begs the question then as we we talked earlier about the CSO insights reports is that yeah maybe as an industry the sales industry looks at geez how are we improving performance and productivity of our reps is to your point about the financial equation is maybe 50% is the right number. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, it, it doesn't feel like the right number. And I think a lot of, I think any CEO would tell you it's about 50% too low or 49% too low. Um, I think you can have, I know where you, I think I know where you're getting at, but, but I think you can have it so that you've got everybody hitting quota and you've got, the right dollars set aside for the commissions. Because what, what ends up happening is you end up with roughly the same commission expense, but it's massively skewed. You get the you know, mm-hmm. the A players, the top 20% that do 80% of the revenue, they're into very expensive accelerators, they have a terrific year. And then you get the C players who really don't cost you anything in commissions because they haven't really sold much. And then you sort of get the mid-table mediocrity, the B players, who've got great potential, but they're not quite, you know, they're not quite hitting it yet. So it does tend to average itself out from the commission's expense perspective. But really, you want that flat. You know, you want the A players to overachieve and have a great year and earn good money so they continue to stay and be loyal. But you really want a kind of much flatter uh, distribution of, of dollars in that sense. Interesting. Yeah, that's something I got to think about. That that's that was that's a <laughs> that's a different way of looking at it. Um, so I guess one question that sort of comes out of this is is you know, is there some thought that we're asking sales professionals to do too much these days? Um, I think there is a lot of expectations that we put on salespeople, but. Um, you know, as we were remarking before the call, you know, the gone are the days where everything involves driving 50 miles to an office park somewhere uh, to go and sell something to somebody. There's so much of it's done over the phone. There's so much technology. There's so much you can glean about the buyers. And there's so much they've already gleaned about you um, that I think it's, you know, the demands we're placing are offset by the opportunities if we can take advantage of them. And I think that's why there's this, the gap is widening between the haves and the have-nots. 
the haves being the people that have figured it out. They've got their technology stack. They focus on a, you know, a few key applications and they've made their bet with their partners. Mm-hmm. And the have-nots are the ones that simply haven't and they're you know, throwing technology at their problems. And so I think if you, if you do get it right, you can cope and you can be very successful. But if you haven't got it right, I think it's, it's a really bad experience for the customers and the buyers. Because at the end of the day, it used to be the case, right? If you were, you know, if you were selling for Acme Corp and your arch rivals, Beta Corp down the road, provided a little bit of a better experience throughout the sales cycle, the customer engagement, mm-hmm. the support, everything. They could, charge, they could charge up to four times the price and they would still win. That's what, the, that's what the reports will tell you. If you get a really good customer experience, people will pay up to four times more for that. And so it was Acme Corp versus Beta Corp, and we both sold photocopiers, let's say, for this sure. example. Sure. Now, Acme Corp isn't just competing against Beta Corp for a good experience. They're competing against Amazon. They're competing against the Apple iPhone. They're competing against Google Home. They're competing against Alexa. They're competing against any good experience that the consumers have had regardless of whether it's with technology or something completely unrelated. We're getting spoiled with things like Uber and Airbnbs and the iPhone and Alexa and all that stuff we just talked about. We're getting spoiled with that. It works so beautifully. We can tell our light, you know, we can talk to our house and tell it to turn our lights on mm-hmm. and shut our garage and all that stuff. That's great. It's a great experience. So when you get a salesperson that turns up, knows nothing about you, has done no homework on you, doesn't know that you've downloaded XYZ white papers and you've had to give your email address for. So it's not like Big Brother spying. Right. You know, you know that they know that you've looked at this stuff. So when the salesperson turns up to talk about something completely different to what you want to talk about, it's a massive gap between what you're used to getting and what you're getting from a salesperson. And so that experience gap is really making the difference. For the organizations that get it right, they're winning a lot more. The ones that get it wrong, it's terrible. Which raises a question. I just saw a post, yeah, some predictions for 2017, and and mm-hmm. one of them was yeah, sort of the increased use of bots and AI in sales. Sort of yes. the point you're talking about. I mean, what's your, your vision of that? I think AI. Um, I think the A is a little bit wrong in AI. <laughs> I think it's more sort of assisted or augmented versus artificial. Okay. Um, I think in the complex B2B sale, I don't think we're going to be buying from robots. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think that's going to be the case. What I do think is that AI and machine learning technologies, you know, subsets of AI like that, mm-hmm. have a massive, massively exciting opportunity. We acquired this company called um, DataHug. And very exciting technology. And it's sort of machine learning, pattern recognition, looking at who our salespeople are connected with and who other people in the organization are connected with. Anyway, the the beauty of that is it starts to look at the communications, starts to figure out who the buyers are, you know, who the key decision makers are in those opportunities and figures out if we're really making good traction with them. Mm -hmm. Are they responding to our communications? Are they looking at stuff on the web? And we can use that to start getting a, a real, much more accurate deal score, a much better forecast, so that when the managers are having their coaching sessions, 
it's it's almost pointing out to the manager, look, you know, this sales guy's forecast this deal to close in three weeks. The deal score is red because, the, you know, the person we've identified as a decision maker has barely responded to anything. They haven't looked at your proposal and they haven't looked at any of the marketing stuff that you sent as a follow-up to the meeting. Right. So really, here's what you need to do. And that's where I think AI and machine learning and that sort of stuff has a real place to play. Alerting, suggesting that next best action, you know, throwing up outliers so that you can do something about it versus, oh, yeah, we didn't get this deal. Why didn't we get this deal? Right. Oh, I can see now that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's where AI and all that sort of stuff has um, a great opportunity. Okay. Perfect. Giles, we're just going to wrap up the show here quickly. i got some standard questions I ask all my guests in this segment of the show. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario in which you, Giles, have just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. Time to do a sales turnaround. CEO, board, really anxious to have it happen. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? I think the first thing is to take stock. You've got to analyze the data and figure out what are the top three problems standing in the way of success for the sales org? And you've really got to look at the data to do that. Mm-hmm. Then I think the second one, well, it depends on what the first one throws up, doesn't it? But I think, you know, the research tells us that there's a massive um, dearth of sales and marketing alignment. So that's probably a place where I would start mm-hmm. getting the marketing perspective on um, what they need to change, what they think should change, and what we think should change with marketing so i think i'd probably start there all right sounds good so some rapid fire questions here you can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish so when you (laughs) giles are out selling what's your most powerful sales attribute well i'm a marketer so storytelling okay so if you had a sales role model who would it be sales role model who would it be (laughs) Uh, I'd have to pass on that one. <laughs> That's fine. Um, what's one book you think every salesperson should read? One book every salesperson would read. I think the um, Complex Conversations book is a good one. Okay. And lastly, what music's on your playlist these days? What music's on my playlist these days? A varied selection, anything from Debussy to... Coldplay. All right. That's a good span from classic, <laughs> classical to pop. Okay. Pretty broad. <laughs> Pretty broad. All right. That works. Well, Giles, thanks for being on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about uh, Calidus Cloud and connect with you. Well, a uh, good place to start be the website, calidusclouds.com, C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S cloud.com, um, or on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as well, at House Giles. Very easy. Love to talk to you. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that, join my conversations with the top business experts like today's guest, Giles House, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.